Welcome to the Perfect Ingredient Podcast with your hosts, Jason Tipp from Perfect Company and Anton Nicholas from ICR. Welcome to the Perfect Ingredient Podcast. We're the conversation you need for anyone obsessed with restaurant operations, the challenges operators face, and the missing ingredients they need to solve them. I'm your host, Jason Tipp from Perfect Company, and here with me is my faithful co-host and good friend, Anton Nicholas from ICR. Good morning, Anton. Hey, Jason. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? Good. Pleased and proud to be here. I mean, honestly, I'm a little bit of a, in a little bit of an irascible mood, but I'll get to that in a minute. I think it, you know, sort of what's bothering me today. I'll talk about as opposed to sort of what's new in the news. But um, but before I do that, a little preview of what's ahead for our listeners. By the way, folks, if you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please write a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Um, you can email us at perfectpod at perfectco.com. That's perfect, just as it's a sound spelled, just as it sounds with P-O-D at the end, at sign perfectco.com. Uh, so l- let's dive in, Anton. I think you, you know I've had this gripe for a while. Um, I was actually talking with uh, part of my team and part of your team this morning about uh, a, a, an article I've written, and it's sort of on this kind of ongoing topic and theme for me, which is, you know, as as much as I love and have been involved in initiatives driving top line sales and technology that drives top line sales, implementing POS solutions, implementing online ordering, implementing um, targeted marketing, and you know, customer intimacy programs, all of those things, you know, the the one consistent kind of gripe or reservation I have about technology investment in the industry is around the lack of real breakthrough investment and thinking about unlocking opportunities to get to the middle of the PL, to get to, to prime costs, cost of goods, and, and labor improvement through technology solutions. And, you know, in talking with the folks, the teams this morning about it, one of the things that came up to us, frankly, we were kind of swapping stories about how much we like Ted Lasso on Apple TV. Is, I love Ted Lasso. Right. He's a great coach, right? But we we both know, uh, you know, he he almost shows up as a strikingly good coach because we've all had experiences with so many more lousy coaches that the contrast is obvious when we see this character in this show. And when I think about restaurant operations, it's 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 got this old and you know maybe outdated, maybe broken model of relying on playbooks, you know operations manuals, job aids, you know, documentation, even if it's in a learning management system and it's on video, it's still documentation being published that, you know, you're, you're, you're speaking to all levels of uh, end users, crew members and team members. And then you've got this coaching model where the coaches are supposed to run the playbooks and remind the team to execute and identify where they have opportunities to improve. But nothing is really breaking through to empower crew members to be successful doing their jobs in the midst of their jobs. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we, I think we have to take a step back and realize partially the reason why that's true is, of course, the system worked, right? So over time, while even those playbooks have evolved, the implementation of those playbooks has worked. And I think the challenge is, is that with an industry that has you know, historically been slow to adopt technology, which has seen a revolution in that regard in the last 10 years, um, particularly front of the house, 
obviously back of the house efficiency and technology implementation has lagged is my sense. And I think that the, the reason for that, of course, is that driving top line revenue out of the front of the house was that would show leverage through the model because you still had the system in the back end that could, could handle it, right? They could handle the more volumes under the current system. I think what you're getting at, though, is this notion that what, what perhaps is past the restaurant industry pat, by is the reality of, of cleaning up the back end, to your point, to cut costs. And, you know, we know that that is a huge, huge challenge and opportunity for the restaurant industry, given everything that's happening. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I've, I've built these um, ROI models and business cases where you, you look at what's going to drive top line, you know, uh, a implement, uh, the more online orders we get, that's a 20% increase in average ticket, you know, that's sort of the benchmark. And we do the math on that, even if we don't grow orders, but we just migrate or, or orders over to off premise orders, and we get that hit in average check. Here's how it flows through the P&L, because we know what our cost of goods are, and we know what our labor costs are. Right. Um, and, and we're not putting the effort into improving the labor cost uh, or, or food cost. And I'm not saying that there aren't people out there working on that stuff. They're working on that stuff. But my point is that when you look at the back of house solutions, the, the, kind of, the state of the art in the industry has been the state of the art in the industry for a long time, which is, yeah, there are better solutions for counting my inventory in the back of house and checking in invoices and you know, automating ordering and speeding up kind of that workflow. But at the end of the day, I count the inventory, the in inventory sits on the shelf, that data goes, it goes into my back house system. I sell products out the front and I look at ideal versus actual, but I don't actually know the behavior that's going on in the middle of that. And that's why, I mean, I've been at, I've been at chains where your ideal vac and versus actual is way off. You don't know where it's way off. And, and you know, are people taking it taking out of the back door? Are they taking extra breaks and eating food? Are they wasting food? Are, are they over portioning? Are they giving free meals to their friends? You don't know any of that. And it's down to the efficacy of your, your coach level, which let's face it, the general managers in a restaurant, even the district managers, general managers are spending time on a dozen other things other than actual execution of orders. Uh, during the day, they count on the crews to execute the orders and above store coaches, you know, they're coming in and they're talking about the most obvious errors uh, or challenges or opportunities. A lot of those these days are about hiring and, you know, uh, and recruiting because the turnover in the industry is so high. Let, let's set aside even the late, the, the issues, you know, the labor issues of, of late, right? That, and, and so, yes, it's, uh, you know, it's tough to make that case. And I, I just haven't seen the technology solutions that are breaking through there. Well, maybe that's the point, right? And some of that's still coming and still evolving as we're looking at it. But at the end of the day, you're talking about a thin margin business. And right. so anywhere anywhere that you can find margin improvement, you should be looking at it. And, and even if it's not sinister, so to speak, we know that there is leakage in the operations process from when the product sits on the shelf to when it gets actually in the customer's hands. There's definitely leakage, right? Um, I also think that some of it has to do with the quality of the food and the presentation and the consistency from location to location, right? Part of the whole, you know, playbook analogy that you're talking about is like coaching is interpretive, right? And so right. one coach, one coach may look at a playbook slightly differently than another. And now you're, and now you're talking about, 
you know, a problem, a real problem for a lot of brands is the consistency, you know, from, from location and throughout the brand. So now to me, it's interesting, right? Because we start the conversation, my, my thinking starts with how, how are you improving margin? How are you decreasing costs? Right. But also now you're increasing efficiency and now you're also, you know, supporting the overall brand proposition. So in all ways, it makes sense. I just haven't, to your point, I don't know that we've seen that kind of tech technological implementation successful so far in the industry. There are solutions. I, I would say there are equipment solutions today that are kind of getting at it around the edges. Look, if I can implement, um, you know, uh, instead of having a flat top, I in, implement a clamshell um, uh, uh, for, for, group, for making burgers, right? Th- so that clamshell grill um, you know, can have, can rate, can, can know when the burger is done, have sensors know when the burger's done, it can relieve itself, you know, open up again, you know, that, that takes your crew member, makes their job easier, allows them to focus on more than one thing than just standing there and being the expert on how burgers are finished. But usually that's a solution about, uh, productivity in the sense of speed of service. It's really not getting at, uh, the, either of the prime costs, labor or, or food costs. Can I say one thing actually that I, I find interesting in this conversation? Because we talk about industry's reticence or resistance to technolo- technological uh, adoption. It's like, you tech guys, you, you always say, oh, it's not a product, it's a service. It's not a service, it's a solution. Oh, it's not a solution, it's a product. It's like it's part of the challenge here is, is like, for, for all of us that are just normal people, like how do you explain to me what I'm implementing and what it's going to do for me? And in particular, how can you take that and train people to use it effectively? Like part of the challenge that I'm sure restaurants are having is they don't actually have the infrastructure to handle the implementation. Oh, I, I think that's right on. And I, I actually, I think there's a challenge before that, which is, which, which is what I thought you were getting at, which is you know, marketers uh, and, and salespeople selling these solutions, they make it sound like the solution automatically resolves the issue, right? You know, I'm selling a back-of-house solution and I say, you know, r- reduce your food cost. Well, the back-of-house solution that helps me count my inventory doesn't actually do anything, really. It gives me information. Maybe it gives me some data that I didn't have before that maybe I can take action on. But I can only take action to the extent that I have the skill, uh, time, and will to take action on that information. And even if I take action on the information, if, I, if I'm coaching, there's no assurance that my coaching is actually going to change the behavior of the team members. Then you add, to, now you go one level beyond that, which is just rolling out a solution, supporting that solution to get to the results. And I've seen this firsthand myself. And in fact, you know, we're going to be talking to Anand Gala later, and I've had this conversation with Anand about this as, as well. Actually, he and I had a, a specifically about a marketing solution in one of the restaurant companies that he's invested in, which is maybe the solution actually does empower the team to get the results that it promises to get. But you can't get those results unless you are making the kind of resource commitments. And that could be financial or it could just be people and time to actually support the implementation of that solution and make it part of your culture and what you do every day. I mean, if you, you could implement a back of house solution that improves your ability to manage inventory, but if you don't make inventory important, if you don't talk about it every day in your operations, then it's not important. 
and you know it's the same thing you know a lot of these a, a lot of the loyalty solutions they talk about hey get our loyalty solution and drive you know customer frequency they forget to tell you is that you need to have a team of like three people dedicated to driving this day in day out thinking about it all the time i honestly believe that restaurant operators will get that the concept of roi is I mean, they, they understand it as well as anybody in any industry. And so I think it's just the explanation that matters. And I think it's helping them get there, right? But, but I do think that, look, I'm in the service business to restaurant operators, and they challenge me on the ROI all the time. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, but I, but I do think they'll get there. But I, but I think your point is well taken, which is like, there is this, you know, sort of good tech word here, integration of both operations in terms of your infrastructure, the right headcount, the right people in the headcount and everything else that will make the tech, the technology can't just, you know, snap its fingers overnight and make everything work fabulously. Well, I, you know, I think that's right. And I, so I'm really interested in, in talking with Anand today because he's a very experienced operator. He comes from a family of operators. He still operates. He is an investor in restaurant businesses that are growth business. And, and, and at least one of them is a turnaround business where I think he's thinking about this. He is also an investor in restaurant technology, restaurant retail uh, technology companies. And so I'm very interested in hearing what he has to say about this because it, you know this is, this is right up his alley. Yeah. And we'll get into it with him too. Because the other thing that's really interesting about it is he's very blunt about the fact that He's he's failed at using technology in the past as well, and what what was wrong with those implementations? Yeah, awesome. Well, let's uh, you know let's let's get into it with Anand. Our guest today is Anand Gala, the managing partner of Gala Capital Partners, an investment firm focused on multi-unit businesses, including franchisors, real estate companies, and software companies servicing those industries. Anton. Uh, I've known Anand for four or five years. We've had some great conversations in the past. Uh, he is a very, very generous guy with his time and very thoughtful about the industry. I think this is going to be a fantastic conversation. Welcome aboard, Anand. How are you today? I'm doing great today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're we're particularly excited to have you on. Um, you know, obviously know a lot about you, but haven't had a chance to really um, have these kinds of conversations. So thanks for joining us. Well, let's dive in on it. I know from our conversations in the past that you have a pretty broad portfolio and a variety of interests and a variety of investments. You have a background as a restaurant operator, but you're also invested and directly involved with a number of restaurant companies. I know you have, a bro have broader investments than that as well, including some tech companies. What stimulated your interest in the tech companies that you're invested in? And how has your background in the restaurant industry played into that? That's a great question. Uh, happy to tell you more about it. Really, where it all began was as an operator and experiencing the day-to-day -day challenges and trials and tribulations that every operator faces. Now, keep in mind, I grew up in the restaurant business and came up through operations in the mid to late 80s and through the 90s. And at the time, there was no real technology as we know it today. Uh, when internet presented itself, it was a 14.4K baud modem uh, that was dial-up. And so there was just a lot of challenges in getting things done timely so that you could really impact the business faster. And as the old saying goes, right, 
necessity is the mother of invention. That's what really stimulated my interest and constantly looking for ways to improve the way we do things. How can we make better decisions? How can we make more informed decisions? That's really what drove my overall interest in technology was really coming from the operator's perspective. I find it I find it interesting you talk about your background coming up as an operator, but you actually studied biology, is that right at, at USC? And I'm just wondering um, how that sort of view impacted you know your studies, studying something different, how you got back into the industry and how that impacted your view on adopting perhaps you know, new technology, new ways to do business within a traditionally sort of old school environment. Ah, you've clearly read the backgrounds and the bios. You've done your research. Not a lot of people know that about me. Yeah, I, I, uh, I did grow up in the business. Uh, my mother was a very early franchisee of Jack in the Box. And so in typical family business, uh, the whole family worked in the business, whether it was weekends or holidays or vacations. I did pursue medicine in college. I was a biology major. And as I was applying for medical school, I realized it wasn't something I really wanted to do. What I did find came extremely naturally to me because of my background, having grown up in the restaurant business and operations was this fascinating business of restaurant and franchise. And the perspectives that I gained and the disciplines that I learned on how to look at problems, challenges, how to dissect them and get to the root cause is really something that I think a non-traditional or non-business background uh, enhanced my ability to do so. So having been a health science major, life science major in college, I think gave me a very different perspective and approach to determining what solutions ought to be and or how to determine the root cause of an issue so that I'm solving for the least number of things that have the greatest impact on the business or simplification. That's great. Anand, you've mentioned problem solving a couple of times. What are the traits uh, of an investment either on the restaurant side as there are opportunities to solve problems or on the technology company side for solving problems that you look for as an investor? You know, I would say that from an investor perspective, um, I always look at it through the lens of who has to use the product. So you could say that it's really driven by the UI and the UX approach to the product or the solution or the opportunity, um, the investment opportunity. Ease of use drives adoption, in my opinion. Functionality is great, but if it's not easy to use, no one will use it. So you have to be careful to balance that there's enough functionality, but really it is very easy to use. Trying to overcome the barrier of change is difficult. And so that's why I keep coming back to this ease of use. So I always think about it from terms of if I'm a restaurant manager and I already have 30 hours of work to do in a 12-hour shift, why would I do one more thing? Well, does this eliminate five things from my list of things to do and it replaces it with one? Does it save me time? Does it send the information to me so that I don't have to go in and get it? Those are some of the basic solutions or basic aspects of a technology investment that we would be looking for as we're vetting the solution. And then, of course, 
you know, does it do something unique that's not already available and or widely adopted in in the customer base today? So if I'm trying to push through another kitchen display system, that may be difficult for me today, uh, unless there's something very unique about it, because there's already going to be a broad implementation of a KDS solution in QSR. And so there needs to be some very significant, meaningful value add um, or simplification in order for me to adopt that, because now I have to change my existing process. You know, I've heard uh, I've heard you say uh, in interviews before that one of the big mistakes that people make is is having the wrong people on the bus. And if I interpret that right, meaning you want to have the right people for what you know, skill set for what you need based on where the business is headed. When you think about that context and you think about what you just talked about in terms of identifying technology that is, you know, easily adopted within the system, but also at the end of the day helps, takes that manager from the five tech, you know, tasks to one. Given everything that's happened in the industry, I'm getting my question, I promise. Getting everything that's happened into the industry with the huge amount of adoption of tech over the last 10 years, even five in particular, are you worried that the pendulum has swung too far now, that there is so much out there that there's a risk of, of having too much tech on the bus? And how do you sift through all of it to know what is right for your business and identify the true ROI and or even those opportunities where you're taking five tasks to one? That's a very good question. I, I think that when we are critically evaluating things, we always start with, do we already have something that does that? Do we believe we have the right people to manage that, whatever that is? Um, let's say it's the newest widget of you know, drone delivery or whatever it may be. Um, do we have the right people on the bus, so to speak, or in the organization that can manage that, that can learn it, that can take it over and be responsible, be the project leader or the initiative owner of that? And how is it going to work with the rest of the systems and processes that we have? What I try to do as often as possible, and it's not possible in every circumstance, but I try to find solutions that are integratable or have already done the work to connect with other applications or solutions so that there is some sort of universal data exchange. The challenge that exists today is that everybody is building a product or solution in a silo. And everybody seems to think that the going rate is $99 a store a month for everything. <laughs> what they don't realize is that every restaurant now has 50 solutions at $99 a store a month, and none of them talk to each other. And it creates this massive amount of administrative work. And there just isn't enough time in the day. And there isn't enough room in the P&L for everybody to charge $99 a store a month. And so I know that that's maybe what the technology solution needs in order to make their, their product profitable or viable, but the, I don't think that they fundamentally understand the, the terrible margins that exist in the restaurant business and, and, and the lack of time that, uh, that people in the restaurant business have. Yeah. And, and actually, if I, could just, if I could just drill into something that you said that I, I think is super interesting, right, which is this idea that 
there's plenty of really interesting tech that you know looks very good on paper for you perhaps but if you don't have the right people within the infrastructure that perhaps can help implement that or understand it and execute against it then it doesn't make sense have you found tech that you think this could be interesting for us but we are just not ready for it and you move on you know i would take it one step further and say that i have made every mistake at least twice and so <laughs> there has been tech not only that i've seen that I've come to that conclusion, but but much earlier in my career, there has been plenty of tech that I went ahead and accepted and, and subscribed to or implemented and actually didn't have time to do it. And so the number of failed projects is, is too numerous for this, uh, for this podcast. Yeah, it's interesting, Anand. You and I have actually had that conversation before regarding tech investment. We've had that discussion about what kind of resources a restaurant uh, business needs to make available to really leverage the investment in a specific uh, solution. It's, it's always an important question to make sure that if uh, you're investing in a particular technology that you've got the team and resources and the emphasis and focus to, to leverage that to best effect and get the results that, that you're investing in. What I wanted to follow up on um, is what I think is a really interesting arc. If you think back I first got involved with implementing online ordering at a brand 10, 10 years ago, maybe a little less than 10 years ago. And I guess online ordering or off-premise ordering, as we're calling it now, is pretty much broadly accepted. It's no longer in test mode, at least not for many brands, especially after last year and, and the emphasis on off-premise ordering due to COVID. But there are a lot of areas that I would think of as less sexy technology investment for restaurant brands. You know, I always think of the consumer-facing technologies as the sexy ones, the ones that are driving top line or driving marketing. Those tend to get a lot of attention, a lot of buzz. But the less sexy investments, those that maybe are focused on operations or more mundane aspects of the business. Anand, what do you see as the next horizon if we think about what's coming up now and maybe intersects with what makes the job easier, maybe streamlines or connects platforms to make implementations easier? What are you looking out at on the horizon now and seeing both as an operator and as, as an investor for restaurant solutions that you think this is going to be an interesting area to develop over the next few years? Yeah, I, I actually am really fascinated by the things that maybe others find mundane. And as you mentioned, all the attention seems to go to you know, drive-through technology or AI voice ordering or online ordering or marketing related solutions. And I think all of those are very important. But what they don't realize is that there are fundamental limitations or challenges within businesses. So no matter how much you push through the funnel, through the top of the funnel, if the business isn't structured correctly, so that it can actually uh, generate the necessary output for that new increased demand or increased order volume, uh, then you just end up with a lot of dissatisfied customers that can become very vocal about their poor experiences. And then you end up having wasted time, effort, and money on all of those sexy, top-line-oriented solutions. So when I say I am fascinated by and drawn to the mundane, I love things that keep the wheels moving really smoothly. So I like things that are operational technologies. I like things that are um, repair and maintenance related technologies that can predictively tell you, um, you know, here's what you should be doing with your equipment in your restaurant or, you know,
know, how to repair it, how to replace it, how to service it, et cetera, because those are things that aren't going to go away anytime soon. Uh, I also believe that those are things that become very, very significant uh, to the long-term success of a business, not just the short-term success. So, you know, how to save a, a nickel per burrito or how to improve your food cost and, and reduce waste because there's so much volatility in food cost. Um, how to simplify the execution using um, smarter operational workflows and, and tips for, for the people that are doing the work. Those are all necessary. And they, the yield on those are dramatic because all that benefit flows through to the bottom line, not just the top line. So I always think about the operator first. I think about how to make the operator money, whether it's an owned and operated brand, whether it's a franchisee. Uh, or some other variation, the operations need to make money uh, because all the marketing in the world isn't going to make you money if the business isn't set up to make money. Spoken spoken like a true operator, particularly in the franchise world, right? Because to your point before, the margins are thin. And so it's not about finding $99 a, a month, like you talked about before, but it's finding nickels here and there that can be replicated across the business. And I think of, I think of commodities right now. You know, every, we're seeing commodity prices increase almost across the board. And for a restaurant business, you know, the basket is has a huge effect on the basket. One thing that you said also that I find interesting is this translation between how do you improve operational efficiency? How do you find those nickels while not affecting the customer experience? Right, because ultimately. Mm-hmm. That's that's paramount, and I think of like McDonald's announcing, which was a big announcement for them. Their you know first global chief customer officer and the new sort of function that they created in terms of client service. So how how do you think about that connectivity? If you give us more details and just your thought process on how do you adopt tech, where you save the pennies, but also how do you improve the overall customer experience? Yeah. In, in the race for everyone to adopt technology and simplify the customer experience, I, I think that many brands run the risk of potentially alienating their customers by implementing too much technology. At the end of the day, we are still in the hospitality business. People come to a restaurant because they want to be taken care of. They want to be attended to. And whether that's at the counter or in the drive-through or seated in a booth, they want to be attended to. And so if you're going to put dollars of labor against anything, I would say put it towards that customer experience. Now, there are still going to be instances and opportunities to simplify that experience for the customer when they're in a hurry. So I think it's about many channels that give the customer choice to select the kind of experience they're looking for. I tend to focus the technology on the things that are outside of the customer's view. And uh, and, and that way, the customer continues to feel as though they haven't been cheated or they ha- they are not getting less than what they're paying for. That, that customer price value equation stays firm or improves because the business can allocate more dollars to what is perceived as high touch or high value. So that, that's how lately I've been thinking about it. 
recently I was reading a variety of different comments, uh, stuff coming out of Chipotle's recent earnings call, some of what Britta Rosenheim has written. And there seems to be this cross-section of trying to address the customer experience while also addressing some of the mundane aspects of operations and, and relieving the frontline crew of mundane or repetitive tasks. For example, Chipotle talked about throughput. And I'm guessing they didn't talk about throughput to identify on an analyst call a challenge that they don't know how to solve. Instead, they were probably wanting to talk about headroom that they believe they have in the business and projecting additional growth as they solve that problem. And they probably have line of sight to a solution or a set of potential solutions to address throughput. Now that's starting to get to how we empower the crew to get things done more efficiently, more, maybe more friction-free. Anand, what's your perspective on those kinds of solution and what's being done in the industry to help the crew there? Yeah, I, I think that throughput is an area that everybody should be paying attention to. One of the challenges that so many restaurant brands face, uh, I would even say it's for the most part universal, is that there is a constant push from marketing and they have every reason to do it. But there's a lot of innovation going on in so many different brands. There are very few that intentionally and maniacally have limited their menu and stick to it and refuse to innovate or introduce new products which allow brands to then execute at a very, very, very high level and train very well. Um, most brands, and many of which we're involved in as well, have a constant backlog of product innovation and new menu introduction. And what that inevitably imp impacts is operations ability to execute at a high level because they haven't had as much repetitive training or experience on those products. Uh, and or that may slow down the execution on the line, and that can have an overall impact. So being thoughtful about workflow and execution uh, is critical, especially when you're thinking about how to continue to drive overall top line and bottom line results. Whether you're a franchisor or a franchisee, whether you're in restaurant, whether you're in doggy daycare, um, the issues are essentially the same. They may be framed differently, but they are essentially the same. And I think throughput is critical. So being able to produce technology that can enable your crew to not have to memorize 50 different recipes, but essentially delivers to them just-in-time information for what they need to execute is incredibly helpful and valuable in today's environment. I think that's well said. I, I think that's definitely very well said. Anand, now is the time in our conversation that we get to transition to more fun or at least less dry and industry-related topics, at least for the most part. Anton and I ask all of our guests at the ends of, end of these conversations what we call the perfect ingredient for foundational questions. Hopefully, you'll find these enjoyable. All right, great. Uh, I get the opportunity to kick this off. So what is your secret guilty... Pleasure food or meal? Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I really had several. I, I would, uh, so I'll, I'll try to keep it simple. There hasn't been a tortilla chip and salsa that I haven't liked. Um, <laughs> it's like my kryptonite. Or, or I would say my other go-to is pizza. I, I love pizza in all forms, 
of all, you know, flavors. It's just a fascinating food to me. And I, I just can't get enough of it. That, that must actually uh, be relevant research for you're involved with the pizza concept, right? I am. I am. Boy, was, was that product research fun. I love going <laughs> to tasting. Anand, please share the brand name. There, there's no harm in advertising for your brand. Thank you. Oh, fantastic. Well, for all of you that are interested, we welcome you to come and visit us at CC's Pizza. Yeah, that's an interesting opportunity. We probably could have spent a half hour or more talking about that acquisition alone and your strategy going forward for that brand. But I know it's probably still closely held and you're still probably working through it all. So we'll watch that one with a lot of interest. Speaking of brands, though, what brand or company other than your own do you admire most? You know, there are a couple out there that I think are fascinating, uh, and they have transcended simply just a leader, and they've really indoctrinated some, some very core principles more than anything else into their culture and into their brand or into their company. Um, the first is Darden, and uh, I've had a chance over many years to get to know their CEO, Gene Lee, and I find him and, and his team to be just remarkable. And uh, I would say another is uh, I, that I've admired from afar is what Rourke Capital has done through Focus Brands and then more recently through Inspire Brands and how they've been able to acquire businesses and dramatically improve them. And it's not necessarily through the traditional uh, financial engineering that so many companies go through when they're taken private, but instead, there's an enormous focus and investment around operations and around thought leadership. It's just been fascinating to watch over the last 15 to 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. Both, both great uh, examples. Okay. What is the most interesting thing you've read, uh, watched, or listened to lately, industry-related or whatever you're binge-watching on Netflix these days? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of content. That's the one thing I've learned during COVID when I apparently had a little more time on my hands. There is a lot of content out there. Uh, there are great podcasts. There are wonderful shows. And, and of course, uh, I love to read. So for me, I would rather, you know, bury my nose in a book or, um, or put on the headphones and, and go for a walk and listen to some audiobooks. There are two in particular that really stand out to me that I found very, very insightful. The first is Around the Corner and Around the World by Bob Rosenberg. And he was uh, actually, I think, the first significant CEO of Dunkin' Donuts in its early days and, and was there for quite some time. And uh, the other was a book called Master of None by Cliff Hudson. And he was the CEO of Sonic for 25 or 35 years. And this is a guy who was a trained attorney uh, and ended up rising through the ranks to become president and CEO of Sonic uh, for 25 to 35 years and, uh, you know, ran operations and everything. And, and obviously, Sonic has grown very, very dramatically. So to see folks come from different perspectives, uh, it's just been uh, just a great story. Oh, those are great, Anand. I'm going to go look for those now. Those are two books I was not aware of. Uh, that's awesome. I, I always appreciate learning about something something interesting, new, new and interesting to read. So Anand, if you could create a restaurant innovation out of thin air, what would it be? Ooh, that's a tough one. There's a lot of innovation going on right now. So I'm sure that whatever I can think of is probably already being worked on. 
As I mentioned earlier, there is a need to connect a lot of different restaurant technology. And keep in mind that at some point in time in the past, something as simple as a timer on your fryer was considered cutting-edge restaurant technology. And so whatever we're experiencing today is just that version in today's terms. But so many of these different things are all siloed. And finding a simple cloud-based connector for all of these things would be tremendous. Uh, I know lots of people are working on it. Some people are working on it within their own, call it walled garden. You know, there are certain POS companies that say we do all these things, but they only work with our POS. But having some sort of a universal connector would be very, very beneficial and give a lot of smaller companies the ability to, to really execute at a very, very high level. Um, the second is, I would say, you know, further development. This is already underway, but further development of back of the house robotics, because that's where the skill is going to be, um, you know, trained and, and required. And there's going to continue to be labor challenges in our business. And when you think about execution, consistency, you know, and, and timeliness, uh, if you're if, if everybody shows up for dinner between six and seven, you know, you want to minimize that wait time as much as possible. You want to be able to turn those tables, you want to satisfy your customers. And I think longer term, having more automation in the back of the house is going to be critical for that. So those are the two things that if out of thin air, I could wave my wand, there would be some iteration of those two things. Fantastic. I think those are two great ideas. And you're right. I'm sure people are working on those solutions. And if they aren't already, after they hear this, they'll be knocking on your door to see if you want to invest with them. Oh, fantastic. Anand, again, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. As I tell folks all the time, I enjoy every conversation I have with you, whether it's a five-minute phone call or we get to sit down and have a meal or chat for a bit longer. I'm really looking forward to reconnecting with you in person later this year because I'm sure we're going to be at some of the same industry events as they open up again. And I'm sure Anton will probably be there as well. So maybe we'll, we'll get the three of us together for a cocktail or a dinner or a meal or something. Again, Anand, we really appreciate you taking time out with us to participate on this podcast. So again, Anand Gala, the Managing Director of Gala Capital Partners, a restaurant operator and an investor in restaurant and retail companies and the technology companies that empower them. Thanks again, Anand. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. I really enjoyed it. I also want to thank my co-host, Anton Nicholas, and remind folks to subscribe to our podcast. It's the Perfect Ingredient Podcast. You can reach us at perfectpod at perfect.tech. Again, perfectpod, all one word, P-E-R-F-E-C-T-P-O-D, at perfect.tech. I want to thank the team at ThatCast and Michael Wolf at ICR for helping us with the production and making all of this possible to share with you. Thanks again, Anton. Thanks again, Anand. And thanks to everyone listening. Take care. Take care.